welcome to another Tap Talks HR podcast. Today I'm talking about the challenges of remote leadership with Wayne Clark from the Global Growth Institute. Hi Wayne, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much Anthony, great to be here. So, so Wayne, thinking about the challenges of remote leadership, why this topic and, and why now? Well, I guess from the beginning of lockdown, I guess as we went into March 2020, companies were um, asking us about how do we deal with this challenge of remote management? And you know, it seemed at the beginning like this was a big issue. Everything was changing. Everyone was concerned about what was going on. And um, I was asked to do a lot of podcasts, webinars, interviews, uh, transmitting information about the best practice tips and advice for managers and how to deal with teams remotely. That happened for a few months and to the point where I kind of got sick of doing it, to be honest, <laughs> because it was just the same thing over and over again. And then it sort of dawned on me, most of the managers I came across in my experience who were great, you know, we've met a lot of brilliant managers on our journey, uh, seemed to have no problem with managing teams remotely. It wasn't a, a an issue for them, whereas for many other people, it seemed to be an issue. And we kind of figured out, well, you know, the great managers were just great regardless because of a few different things, which maybe we can get into. Uh, and then we recorded a whole bunch of content on remote management tips and put it out for free, again, purely because I'd had enough of doing it. Um, and we wanted to try and make sure that everyone could access that as much as possible. So, you know, one of the things we found in our observation was looking at the strength of relationship. So managers who have, you know, consistent, good quality one-to-ones with their staff on a regular basis, where the discussion is, you know, not just sort of surface deep, didn't seem to have any issue because they've got a strength of relationship there. And as we know, you know, great relationships can bear a lot of stress. Bad relationships break really easily. And what we found, I guess, in the remote management uh, world was where there were, you know, sort of shallow relationships, a little bit of stress, and we were under a lot of stress, meant that there were a lot of impacts on those relationships. So managers couldn't cope. Teams felt like they were out of control. Communication went out the door. Leadership teams who, who weren't very good at a regular communication cycle were struggling. Whereas again, surprise, surprise, leaders who had a communications rhythm in place that had always been there, and they were rigorous with that. They were disciplined in how they did that. They also didn't really seem to have a problem. Uh, managers and leaders who hyper-communicated and went into overdrive also sort of were the type of leaders who you would have expected to have done that anyway. So I guess what we saw was a continuation for the great ones who managed to continue to do well, and then the others really struggled with it. So, so from my point of view, I would think of that as like um, having a pot of goodwill and building trust with, with people that actually, whenever you enter a period of high change, those leaders who have that that pot of goodwill built up over time yeah. with their people, actually they can draw on that and actually people think, actually my, my leader's looking out for me, so I'll trust them initially, even though my world is falling apart around me. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah very much so. So, so thinking about these these aspects of these great managers, you've mentioned a few there. What do you think, if we could break that down a little bit, what, what would be one area that you think was probably the bit that most made a difference for these great managers? I think like, if you look at the one-to-one cycle for most people in most organizations, you know, ask anyone in any company, when was the last time you had a really good quality one-to-one with your line manager? I realized that if we talk to most senior teams, exec teams, ex-com members, ex-co, whatever they're called in every, in every organization, they would usually smirk if I asked them that question. You know, when was the last time you had a really good conversation about your growth and development with your CEO or with the chairman? Often they'll smirk as if to say, it doesn't really happen that often. 
uh, the laughter gets louder the lower you go by grade, you know, into which case, if we were in a sort of like blue collar environment, I won't even ask frontline staff those questions because often they'll just fall over laughing because it's a ridiculous question to ask. You know, that's a big generalization, but it's, it's kind of what I see. So most people don't have very good one-to-one -one conversations with line managers. And that was one of the things that we looked at was, you know, in our experience, if you look at a great or a dream, let's paint the picture actually, the dream manager, right? So the dream manager would do two things in our experience. One is that they would be, um, they would understand you. So I'm understanding Anthony's hopes, dreams and ambitions. I know where you want to go in life. I know what, you know, maybe your parents wanted for you or whoever looked out for you when you were young. There's an intimate understanding of Anthony's goals and ambitions and dreams, right? So I've got that on one hand. On the other hand, I've got a really good knowledge of the organization itself. So I can do something quite magical when that happens. I can marry sort of Anthony's dreams and ambitions with what's going on in the organization because I've got knowledge of both. And like, as if I was some magician, I can now create opportunities for you to learn, grow and develop, which are important because on the receiving end of that, you're now saying, well, I feel like I'm growing. I feel like I'm being made to be more valuable. If, if that means that I've become so valuable and the organization can't pay for me anymore, then I'm going to go somewhere else. Fantastic. Yeah, that's, that's the outcome we all want is to quote everyone retweets and reposts on LinkedIn from, you know, Richard Branson. But this is like the, you know, the dream manager in our opinion is doing those two things. So, and again, if you look back at what was happening before lockdown, um, or before the pandemic, you know, these were always the traits of great managers. They still are the traits of great managers, digitally or not, it's the same behavior. Uh, but it requires, as you, you know, long answer to your question, when you look at the pot of gold, that's an investment that managers are making proactively in developing and deepening the relationship with individuals. And that might not necessarily just be people who might be in a sort of subordinate or superior position. That's the sort of old way of looking at it. This could be stakeholders. This could be external relationships. It could be customers. It could be the regulators. It could be funding bodies. You know, anyone that we interact with, you know, surprise, surprise, the, the deeper the relationship, the more we're willing to invest, probably the more likely it is that that relationship is going to benefit both parties. So, I mean, do you think that's... Um the not so great managers just probably took for granted the fact that when we're all in the office or in the workplace and they weren't having these great conversations that they were being uh, i suppose other people your teammates around you were actually having those great conversations with you so so you didn't feel as much of a loss because actually my teammates knew about me my teammates looked out for me and everything and the manager therefore didn't really put the effort in. And I, do you think that those managers, therefore, were the ones who had the biggest problem? And it was actually the, the line managers who actually didn't think, oh, the support network with the peers is there. I need to invest in this. Do you think that's the differentiator between them? That actually, because I look back to pre-pandemic days and I think, well, you know, we took so much for granted, didn't we, when we were sitting there in the office face to face? That's right. Yeah. I mean, I did a poll the other day on office mugs. I don't know if you saw that one on LinkedIn, but <laughs> yes, yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I was just reminded because I was getting a mug from the cupboard and it was my wife's. And I was thinking, should I use this? And I know she'd lose her mind if I did. So I just thought back to the old days in the office. So there's one of those things. Anyway, it's sidetracked. But I think, you know, when we look back at that, and I'll give you a quick story. There was a lady who I spoke to who worked for a, um, trying to keep it nondescript as possible. She works for a large company that we work with. She is uh, handling complaints from customers all day long. And that was her job in the office. She's now doing that remotely. Uh, we spoke to her and the interesting thing about her was that she doesn't get paid that much. She lives in a shared accommodation. So she's in a room, it's a house share. 
uh, and she's on the phone for eight hours a day taking customer complaints. You know, that was kind of tough anyway in the office. Now she explains what she does. She sits at the end of her bed taking customer complaints for eight hours and things that annoyed you before March 2020 really annoyed you after March 2020 because people are losing their minds and all sorts of things. Imagine the aggression she's getting for eight hours mm-hmm. of that day, sitting at the end of her bed on a phone, on a headset with a laptop. When that eight hour shift is finished because she can't interact with other people in the house, she then is off the phone and back in that small room again. And that, and that really blew me away when I spoke to her because I just thought that's what you're going through five days a week, you know, and the other two days, you're not leaving the room really either. And, and just to get yourself into the, the mindset and to be empathic as a, as a team manager for someone in your team who will be living that way. And there's lots of other extreme and more difficult situations, I'm sure, than that. But it comes back to, again, you know, a great manager. I may not be able to change the fact that you can't afford more than a bed sit and you're in there for most of the week and that's your job. But I can definitely feel more caring about or make you feel like I care more about your situation. It might be the rewards. It might be the conversations we have. You know, and we found that, again, surprise, surprise, great managers would have invested more time and energy into building those relationships. On, On this is another quick thing. I spent five years of my career giving employee feedback to leadership teams. So as you can imagine, I've worked now with over 700 CEOs, but I've probably spent about five years meeting three to 400 different CEOs on that journey. And when I'm giving employee feedback from the engagement survey, you know, there's arguably three broad camps of people. There's the hyper-engaged, you sort of, you know, would take a bullet for the, well, not maybe take a bullet, but you know, they, <laughs> they, they, they love the organization to death. You know, there's a bunch of people who want to do a great job. You know, I don't really care about the vision, mission, values and all that, but you know, I'm here to do the best I can and, and do a good job of it. And you've got a bunch of people who actively hate work in there and would do anything for <laughs> work there. But that's another situation and those, you know, everyone's got their own issues and stuff going on. What we found is when we looked at the, uh, the hyper engaged individuals, there was so much that they were doing that could be replicated across the rest of the organization. So again, if you looked at the managers who have survived and thrived in this difficult situation, a lot of what they do, if you looked at their daily um, behavior, their rigor, their discipline, is nothing about that is difficult to replicate. It just requires an investment of time and energy. The challenge is that people say, I've got no time to invest in that. We went to a, it was a large contact centre business up near Leeds a few years ago. We'd measured 60 managers for the employee engagement survey. And we found out that there was one particular manager who had this exceptional score, way better than the average, right? So in the room, we had them together in the good old days. And we asked the manager who got this exceptional score. I said to him, would you mind standing up and sharing with everyone else what you do? Because it seems to be you're this like weird outlier in the data. You've got such an exceptional engagement score. And he said, well, what I do is I go around the pods in the contact center on a, you know, on a Friday, most of the, most weeks. And then I spend most of Monday assessing with the guys what happened last week and showing them the targets for the coming week. So one of the other managers put his hand up and said, oh, so do you only work 80% of the week? Ah, ha, ha. And everyone sort of laughed. You know, I get carried away. I'm laughing as well. And I thought, you know, this is an interesting thing because the guy has the same workload as everyone else, but he's managed to create 20% of his weakest space. And I asked the CEO, I said, apart from, so, you know, the engagement stats. He said, look, the guy beats everyone on everything, call handling numbers, customer feedback scores, everything he wins at. But he spends 20% of his time invested in uh, essentially supporting the team. Whereas the other managers said, we would love to do that. 
can't work out how to do it. And it's this weird sort of oxymoron that you find the best leaders we come across seem to have more space and time than the average. How do they create that? Well, they invest, this is the thing about investment, right? <laughs> they invest the time and energy and therefore the return they seem to get creates space for them and it becomes a virtuous circle. But it begins with a period of pain where you're gonna to have to probably do more than the average to invest the time and energy to create the space. It's that level of, it's like putting in entropy, isn't it? You have to put energy into a reaction to get it to happen. It's, uh, I'm thinking of, um, totally uh, agree that actually, I think in a modern world with a very flat structure and low hierarchy, we are talking about job descriptions of line managers, but it's like 80, 90% of their own job. Yeah. And the bit about, oh yeah, you've got to look after a team of people kind of sits near the bottom somewhere. Yeah. And I think we need to almost pivot that on its head and actually get them realizing that, that, that actually that investment in someone comes back tenfold. Yeah. And it's usually when things are tough that it comes back tenfold and helps you out. So that, yeah. that's fantastic. I mean, I'm interested also about the, 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 the issues that we have around remote management or since we've gone through the pandemic, we have more people now working remotely around how we, how we leverage people's skills and people's knowledge when we're so dispersed yeah. as team. Have you come across anything like that in your studies? I have, and it actually solves two organizations, so it solves two challenges for the organization. So you're a CEO and you've got a big problem, which is the world's changing, everything's changing. We've got great resignation, we've got great reset. You know, the IMF are talking about great reset. There's all these things that are being reevaluated and shifting and moving. And you're probably concerned about your business model. Is it, does it work anymore? You've got investors on your case. You've got expectations of return for capital, all these challenges you're dealing with. Uh, on the other hand, you've also got an employee base who probably want to feel like they are developing their skills, growing. Uh, funnily enough, one of the lowest scoring questions that we've seen on nearly every employee engagement survey is the question which says, I've got skills that the organization could use, but doesn't. So it's a strange thing. If you look at where we are in you know, 2022, people would say that you know, if you talk to an employee assistance program helpline, lots of people call them, increasingly people are calling them because I'm overworked, overwhelmed, I'm stressed, I'm anxious. So on one hand, I'm massively overwhelmed and overworked. On the other hand, at the same time, I'm underutilized, which is a strange, weird situation, which tells us something, I think, my read of this, is that you've got people who feel that they've got so much more that they could contribute, but don't, uh, don't have the ability to, whether that's because the organization doesn't see that in them uh, or because their manager is no good and doesn't have those deep conversations one-to-ones with them. That can be part of the reason. But if you think about the CEO's challenge for one minute and you think about your most junior ranking employees challenge as a graduate, maybe even with all of these skills and sort of experiences that they could contribute to the organization, we've actually got this wonderful opportunity. And I don't think many organizations have cottoned on to how this can be leveraged. And the amazing thing about it is that it should cost you absolutely nothing. So imagine where you sit with the leadership team and you've got three or four strategic priorities. Every single one of those priorities doesn't require, in most situations, in most organizations, brain science level skills or intelligence of 200 plus IQ to cope with that. It requires that you actually just understand the challenge. You understand a bit of what's going on in the marketplace. You understand a bit about what's going on with the competitor set. 
with the regulatory environment, with the trends that are changing socially, all those things, back to your basic, basic pest stuff from college, right? Uh, most people can get their heads around that. So if that is the case, and we've got often, you know, hordes of really clever people in the organization who want to contribute more, why don't we take some of these big existential challenges that face the organization, give people who are in junior positions in the organization an opportunity to really give that some thought. We're not talking about a 24-hour hackathon or the or a jam. I'm not I'm not rubbishing that stuff, but often it's very surface level. And from what I've seen, not much gets done with the output in many organizations. But why don't we take the create an opportunity for the leaders of the organization to engage with more junior people about some of the really big challenges and help them to solve it together. What it does is it's great because it solves a big challenge for the organization. It gives me as a junior person an opportunity to unleash the potential that was promised that would have been unleashed on the website when I took the job, right? Because mm. <laughs> most, most employee websites say, you know, come to us, you're gonna fulfill your potential. Uh, often the case is not, that's not the case because it can't be and for all sorts of reasons. But I think this presents a really big opportunity for how it solves two big camps problem. The CEO, the leadership team, the investors problem on one side, the frontline employees who feel that they've got skills that are massively underutilized on the other side. One of the most uh, uh, sort of angry sources of feedback we used to get when I was involved in employee surveys for a number of years was IT teams. So IT teams, sorry if you're in an IT team, but you'll feel, I feel your pain, right? Because I, I, I understand it. So most IT teams would say that they are the most hacked off. So when we used to go and feedback employee engagement data to a leadership team, we run through the departments. Surprise, surprise, the exec are pretty happy. They're chipper. <laughs> it's all right. My world's all right. You know, and then you go down the chart by department, and usually at the bottom, you've got facilities and you've got IT. But let's take IT as an example. Now you pick, um, this is massive, massive generalization. You pick someone in IT who's got these deep programming tech skills. Right, That's kind of why the organization employed them. But now I'm being tasked to do 40, 50 hours a week on one thing. You know, 80 to 90% of my skill set is not utilized. It's a massive source of frustration. So, you know, again, that's, a, that's an example where we're in a tech enabled, you know, and propelled world. How about we try and leverage the skill set people we've actually got, we're paying for anyway, but offer them opportunities to engage with real business challenges. And I think here presents a, a really interesting opportunity. Some organizations have begun to do that too. And that's really interesting because that kind of, I've got a spark in my head about the work by Daniel Pink in his book Drive about yeah. autonomy, mastery and purpose. Yeah. And actually if you can give people autonomy to have a broader look at their role and utilise their skills more, mastery to demonstrate that and show them where they fit into the organisation, then that builds that intrinsic motivation. Yeah. And I think when we're talking about remote leadership, I think that's where it nicely fits into what you're saying there. It's actually, if, if we can be, get people to be intrinsically motivated in their disparate remote places that they work as a leader, yeah. your job's going to get a lot easier, isn't it? Yeah, because that's right. Yeah, yeah. And your choices, or it could get a lot harder. You know, it's great in the remote world. I can annoy someone in Taipei. <laughs> I can really hack off someone in Sydney. It's really easy. <laughs> but or, or right, because I've got this, I've got one channel to, in order to engage with them, or I can create an opportunity to engage, to infuse, to inspire. You know, I'm sure there's lots of other nice words I could use, but it's the opportunity uh, opportunity cost of the time spent. And again, but back to the the other challenge of you know the consistent issue for most people is I've got no time and attention. So in a world where I'm now competing, this is an interesting one, quick story on this. Mm -hmm. We was at an investment firm just before Christmas. And uh, there was a, again, I'll try and keep it 
completely nondescript. There was a particular person I was speaking to in HR, and I was asking how much time uh, per day do you spend on TikTok, right? In in her early twenties, so how much time do you spend on TikTok? And she's like, uh, about sort of two to three hours. I'm like, is, do you really mean like three to four? Probably <laughs> five. And she's like, probably, you know. And I said, okay. So of the time you're spending on TikTok, how much time is spent on TikTok during the day? Uh, uh, <laughs> most of it, right? So, and then I'm talking to the leadership team saying, imagine this situation. You've got your people working remotely on TikTok. Do you know how entertaining that is? You know, I'm watching a cat fail or learning about Justin Bieber's new trainers or what his mum said about him. You know, there's all of these like really entertaining, like useless facts that are sucking up my time and attention span. At the same time, you're trying to compete with that message to get me interested in the strategy and the vision. Mm. You've got no chance because I'm having to sit there and watch an hour long, you know, you sat between a fern and a window talking about the latest sort of thinking on strategy or what's going on in the market. I'm painting an extreme picture, but you know, we're in a world where my attention span is so short, my ability to engage is so short, and you've got to now change your game and how you're engaging with me. And I think that's a really big wake up call I've learned from the last two years of just looking at what's been consuming people's attention span and, and asking the question, does that mean we need to change our game up or up our game in how we communicate and engage as a company with our people massively is the answer. That's interesting, isn't it? Because pre-pandemic, you could, and if you were office-based, you could drag everyone into the atrium and do a town hall meeting for an hour where at least you knew they were paying attention. Whereas now, it's almost like you're competing with external marketing companies to get your message across yeah. as a leader, isn't it? Right. So so I suppose my, my main final question um, is, okay, what can we do about this? I mean, we, we've talked about the issues, we've talked about communication, we've talked about skills issues, underutilizing them. What can we do as HR leaders or line managers listening to this to actually get better yeah. at remote leadership? I think I take my inspiration on many things. From an, it's an organization that I, anyone who knows me is probably sick to death of me talking about them, but I continue because I've not yet met yet an organization better, I think. But Red Carnation Hotels is an organization I speak a lot about because they achieved uh, the second position on the Sunday Times Best Companies list. But I think, you know, in a way even more impressive, if you believe that there is this link between engagement, service delivery and profitability, this sort of old series chain of, of value creation. I mean, this is the perfect manifestation of it. They've got this ultra high engagement score. If you look at TripAdvisor in London, there's around a thousand or so hotels on TripAdvisor in London. And they have the number one, two and three spots on TripAdvisor. It's remarkable. No other hotelier has ever done it. They've achieved the number one spot and held that for years. It's, it's kind of impossible to do that. I'm not exposing any of their secrets and I've known and worked with them for a number of years, but I guess what I've been doing is a lot of trying to understand why it works so well, especially in a sector where if you imagine the reality of you're doing, you know, 10 to 12 hours a day on your feet for not much money in this industry. Uh, and then you've got an organization who has in a way the same job types, but is able to engage people so much um, differently, so much more differently than any other similar type of organization. The one thing that seems to be true of how they engage with their staff and also how they engage with their guests or customers is that it's just this deep um, empathic approach to it. So really wanting to understand what makes you tick and learning about your preferences. Now, this is why, like him or hate him, 
you know, whether you believe you should be spending a few billion dollars going up in a certain shaped rocket. But, you know, Jeff, Jeff Bezos, you know, the business he's created with Amazon, you know, as, as far as I understand what they understand about you, they understand more about you than a psychologist would because they've got such a detailed knowledge through their technology and the way that they're able to sort of stitch all that together with AI of your behavior. So they're understanding what you do intimately, probably before you even know what you're going to do next themselves. And this is what we've seen tech enable. And you can take it all the way back in a non-tech world if you don't have that sort of money. But this is all about investing the time and energy to really understand what makes people tick. And in a way, what we now need to do is give you what you need, because that's fair. And this is the deal. It's a, you know, it's a relationship. And it's a compromise in many cases. You need to get something out of this relationship. And I want something out of this relationship. And I think that, you know, that's the ultimate going all the way back to the sort of you know, adult, adult relationship many organizations are interested in. So I think from the organization's point of view and HR's point of view, there's something here about really rethinking all of this. Now, maybe forget everything that's gone in the past. I mean, I don't know about you, but I, Nancy, but I look at, like, if I'm looking at stuff on YouTube, if it says pre-March 2020, I'm actually not interested to watch it because it's like content that was created in a Narnia world that doesn't exist anymore. Mm. So I find like this is the new reality. Anything before is kind of like make-believe now. So we're in this new world. And I think we should, you know, as a HR team, as a HR leader, or even as a CEO, we should rethink the way that we're doing this. Rethink, and, and if, if your answer is after rethinking it, it's absolutely spot on, brilliant, perfect, then great. But I suspect there's probably more to do. That's one side of it. The other side of it is I think that this offers an opportunity for HR specifically to really power themselves up as if this was like, I'm showing my age now, but this is like Mario, right? <laughs> Maybe eating the mushrooms is a bad analogy, but you're about to face Bowser, the big boss, the final yeah, boss. Right? <laughs> you're there. But, you know, there's something here to empower or power up the HR community, which is that you're probably one of the only functions or disciplines in an organization that's got the ability to get across the entire organization. So you've got like freedom of movement and being able to understand all of that. And, and I think what I would love to do if I was in a HR role right now, I would be doing a couple of things. One is I would be intimately, in the same way that I'm trying to understand the individuals, is I'd really try and get my head across the entire organization and understand it. In a way, I want to understand it better than the way the CEO does. I want to be able to talk to the CEO in a way that challenges his or her thinking about what's going on in this organization, because I understand it so well. You cannot shake me on what I understand about this organization. One side of it. The other side of it is I want to understand who we serve, that whether, whether you're a charity, an NGO, government organization, you know, listed stock market business. You know, I would want to understand what's going on with our customers in a way better than uh, even the way our customers understand what's going on. If you could put yourself into that position as a HR person, you are probably the most invaluable HR person in the room, and you're now able to challenge your leadership team in a way that you probably never could. And, and all of this stuff is available for free. It takes a few hours of investing your time and energy. And as a challenge right now, live on the podcast, I would say, you know, over the next sort of 30 days, right by the end of I don't know, February, end of March, invest 10 hours, just 10 hours, five of that into deeply understanding how your organization creates value, makes money, serves its customers, serves the beneficiaries, serves you know people it's trying to reach. On the other side, I'd, I'd spend five hours like hardcore, focused, laser-like, like Superman, Ninja Man, on understanding what's going on in your customer's world. Or even better, try and find a couple of customers and actually spend some time with them, an hour apiece, meet five new customers of your organization or people who benefit from your service or product. And I think that you know really puts HR in a different position because it should be, 
because it's probably the only function that should be playing that role, in my opinion. Yeah. So, so I mean, that's fantastic. I've never had such a challenge going up to my listeners. Same, thanks, Wayne. Um, so what we're saying essentially about remote leadership is actually the way to deal with remote leadership is essentially no different than how to deal with the Narnia version of leadership, of the pre-pandemic leadership. It's just we need to forget what works then and be empathetic towards understanding our people, knowing how they are, and actually what they need from us. And the thing is, we need to reset that if we're not in a good place at the moment. Yeah, totally. And then there's one one quick final thing, right? So on my journey, I've met with a few billionaires. So they, they reckon that there's about the ones we know anyway, they're common thinking, or if you look at the World Economic Forum and stuff, there's about 3,000 billionaires on the planet. And I've had the opportunity to meet with five billionaires. And I'm always interested in the billionaire because of, not because of the amount of money, but because like in any field of, whether that's sport or artistry or something, you always find these people that are the extreme end of something. And I'm always interested in what makes them so exceptionally good at something. And the billionaire people interest me. And I've been trying to find out a bit more about what, what you know, makes them tick. One of my observations is around how they create these unbelievably compelling visions for what it is that they want to create, which in a way defies all sorts of logic and rationality. And, and, the, and the truth is, we spoke a little bit about this maybe before the podcast, but you know about the idea of the fact of past, present and future is a construct. Right? Most people's belief of what's going to happen in the future is heavily dictated by what's gone on in the past. The truth is that the future is always created moment by moment. And I, I, this came to me because a number of years ago, I did 10 years in corporate. I remember literally sitting behind a curtain with a CEO as he was working out the strategy in order to communicate to everyone. And he walked out on stage and spoke to everyone. And everyone sort of cheered as if it was the new strategy, which it was, but it didn't exist 60 seconds before. <laughs> And then you know, I figured out in that moment, everything is created, strategy, vision, values, it's all, it's all made up by someone. Why can't you make up your own? And the truth is, and the, the, the litmus test question is, if it's not a compelling vision, if it doesn't compel you to want to jump out of bed and run towards it, it's the wrong thing. Scrap it and start again. You know, all of us at any moment have got the power to recreate our version of what the future is. And it should be a vision that inspires us to want to jump out of bed and run towards it. And I think it's probably one of the most I don't know, refreshing things I've ever realised on my journey that you can create your future. I've got nothing to add to that. I think that's absolutely inspirational and I think it puts the power back into all our line managers and HR's hands to actually recreate this future. It's an opportunity moving forward from where we are now. I could talk to you all day, Wayne, and actually yeah, for words. the listeners' benefit, we did talk for an hour and 20 minutes before we started this podcast, um, <laughs> and we had to realise there was a podcast we had to do at the same time. Wayne, as always, I'm inspired by what you say. I think you understand the world of leadership and the wider world better than most people I meet, and I'd say thank you very That's much for coming along. If people want to hear more about you, where do they go? Um, just connect with me on LinkedIn. It's probably the best route, and I'll apologise because a lot of stuff gets thrown out. So uh, thrown out there. So yeah, LinkedIn is probably the best mechanism. Thank you. Well, that's it for now, everyone. You can find out more about remote leadership challenges at tapsolutions.com and our range of over sixty podcasts now. So we'll be back soon with another Tap Talks HR podcast. But thanks for listening. Thank you, Wayne, and goodbye to everyone for now.